Welcome to Uncommon Knowledge. I'm Peter Robinson. Today, two remarkable Englishmen. Born during the Second World War, Sir Roger Scruton died last year. We, we recorded the program you're about to see on the first anniversary of his death. A philosopher and man of letters, Sir Roger wrote more than 50 books, including On Human Nature and How to Be a Conservative. He was, by unanimous opinion, the most significant conservative thinker since Edmund Burke. Which brings me to the Right Honorable Michael Gove MP, or Member of Parliament. A member of Britain's Conservative Party, Michael Gove has served as Education Secretary, Justice Secretary, and Environment Secretary. He played a central role in the campaign for Brexit. He now serves in the cabinet of Prime Minister Boris Johnson as Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster and as Minister for the Cabinet Office. The journalist Douglas Murray refers to Mr. Gove as far and away our most intellectually engaged and curious senior politician. On the legacy of Sir Roger Scruton, one of Britain's most influential thinkers, the Right Honorable Michael Gove, one of Britain's most significant practical politicians. I'll return to that a, a couple of times. One aspect of being a practical politician, you're, I'm in, at home in California, you're in your office in Whitehall, and demands on your time are ceaseless. So let me begin by thanking you for making time. First questions are quite are, are simple and obvious. When did you first become aware of the work of Roger Scruton? And when did you first meet the man himself? Um, I first became aware of Roger's work as a schoolboy. Um, I was brought up in Aberdeen in Scotland, uh, and uh, I uh, uh, was a voracious reader at the time. I had a favourite bookshop, which also had a magazine stall. I came across a copy of the Salisbury Review on that magazine stall. Uh, I would have been about 15 or 16. Um, and um, I asked my parents subsequently if I could subscribe to it. Um, uh, uh, they, they weren't quite sure what the interest was, but at least it wasn't uh, Playboy. So they thought, um, uh, we'll indulge our son. Um, and that was the beginning, uh, uh, reading that. Um, I, I remember being reminded by uh, the, uh, uh, one of the, the team there, Mary Cave, the managing editor, that I was the only subscriber in Aberdeen. So they knew who I was, but uh, it, it, it was a, a key that opened uh, a door to a, uh, a mansion with a, an almost limitless number of rooms. Um, so after that, I, I bought uh, The Meaning of Conservatism and read it uh, again as a student. Um, and I was, um, uh, I had that sense of uh, having been in the darkness and walking into the light. Um, I had an inchoate sense of what my political views and instincts were. But they were just that, instincts and senses and intuitions. Um, uh, and then reading that book, I realized that I was a conservative, but still only an apprentice conservative, uh, in that there was so much more about that tradition and that way of looking at the world and that, uh, that politics and that disposition, um, which I had to discover. So that led me on to, um, uh, uh, more, reading more and more of Roger's own work, and also to uh, reading other thinkers that, uh, that he had cited and uh, uh, who had influenced him. Um, and then I first met Roger when I was a journalist working on the Times newspaper. After I left university, um, I did various uh, uh, sort of 
journalistic jobs. Um, but the, uh, I fell on my feet when I was made a leader writer, uh, an op-ed uh, contributor to the Times newspaper in 1995. Uh, Roger had had uh, a strong relationship with the, the Times, um, not least, of course, through um, the um, enlightened editorship of, um, of Charles Douglas Hume. Um, and one of the things that I'd read of Rogers was a collection of his Times pieces called Untimely Tracts. Um, and they, they had a beautiful quality in that they were often, you know, they, they, they often began with Chesterton style paradoxes and then made you realize the importance of, of you know, of, 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 of what was being argued. Um, um, and it's, um, uh, you know, it's dramatic um, and powerful nature. So I got to know him then, but it wasn't the first time that I clapped eyes on him. The first time I'd seen Roger and I saw him from afar was when I was an undergraduate, a student at Oxford University. And I can't quite remember what the debate was, um, but um, one of the students uh, denounced uh, Roger for being a, uh, a nostalgist and a reactionary because Roger had once written in favor of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Um, and then uh, in response, and the debate was not about that at all, it was on a completely separate issue. Um, in response to that, Roger then explained um, uh, with great elegance and wit uh, in just two minutes, why nostalgia for the Austro-Hungarian Empire was, uh, given the problems that we faced at the moment, an entirely rational uh, point of view. Um, and uh, what I saw then is what, of course, everyone on this, um, you know, listening uh, to our conversation knows, which is that Roger was able to use wit in, in, in its proper sense, mm. intelligent humor, um, and insight and originality to reveal truths that had been um, pasted over. Um, and you know, one of the things about Roger was that he was capable of, of truth-telling without ever seeking to discomfort. Uh, what he wanted to do was to draw people back or forwards to realizations about life, about politics, about culture, uh, about humanity itself. Um, and, and if you can imagine a teacher who's not didactic, a teacher who uh, 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 not bewitches, but, but uh, draws you in because of the lucidity mm. with which they think. And you see your own feelings given expression in a way that, that you, know, uh, you, you, you never thought imaginable. Um, you know, there is a line from uh, Alexander Pope uh, that um, about uh, uh, art is but nature to advantage dressed, what oft was thought, but now so well expressed. So well expressed. Right, um, right, and the thing with Roger is that almost every political or aesthetic or cultural point of view from a conservative point of view was never better expressed than by him. Michael, if, Minister Gove, if I may. Please, Michael. Plyler. So, so right. well, you are, you are, we have friends in common who refer to you as Michael, so I'm thrown here, but you're minister to me, but mm -hmm. as long as you're sitting in an office in Whitehall. Um, all right, so you begin subscribing to the Salisbury Review as a schoolboy in Aberdeen. This means we now grant you your credentials as a thinking conservative. However, you are a practical politician and a practical politician can do nothing without the votes. You operate today in London in an environment in which wokeness is rampant. You have the press, the Times has changed since you were writing leaders for the Times, all the press has changed. Let's begin if we, so the, what I'd like to get at is this relationship of, the, of a brilliant thinker 
who in fact, in my judgment, was quite a lot more shrewd at the practical level than might have been supposed. But what we see of Roger Scruton is the brilliant aspiration of thinking. And, and in Michael Gove, we have a practical politician. Brexit, of what importance was it to you and perhaps to the now prime minister? It was, listen, as far as I could tell from here in California, watching the Brexit debate, in the vote leave campaign, it was Boris Johnson and Michael Gove and not a lot of others. And among intellectuals, it was Roger Scruton full stop. Of what importance to you personally, how useful to, to you was it to have Roger on your side? And what difference did it make as a practical political matter? Any at all? Yes, I think it did. Um, uh, I, I'd say, I, mean, I think you're right that um, Roger was the preeminent intellectual uh, supporter of our leaving the European Union, but not the only. Um, uh, I think we've heard from uh, Professor Lord Glassman, Morris Glassman, uh, who was a distinguished, uh, a very distinguished, uh, is a very distinguished left-wing thinker and supporter of Brexit. There were some academics on the left, uh, Richard Tuck, uh, Chris Bickerton, and others who supported Brexit, and indeed some uh, uh, on the right or not particularly strongly aligned with um, a particular political party, people like Professor Robert Toombs, you know, one of the most peerless historians um, of the British Isles, who were supportive, but it was a minority. You're absolutely right. Um, um, there was probably a, a, a soccer team of intellectuals, but probably not an American football team of intellectuals who were making the case for Brexit. But one of the things about um, uh, uh, having Roger on side, not just for that uh, debate, but for, for, for others, is that um, uh, if you look at Roger's career and achievement and personality in the round, um, you have someone who I, I think in any individual field that he had entered, if he'd limited himself to that field, he would have been preeminent internationally in that field. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think there's, a, uh, uh, there's anyone who could compare as a scholar of Wagner. I don't think there's anyone who could compare as a, uh, a you know, a, 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 a philosopher of aesthetics more broadly. Um, I don't think there's uh, anyone who could compare uh, in practical terms to the contribution that he made as a single individual to keeping the flame of freedom alive beyond the uh, uh, Iron Curtain uh, in the run-up to its collapse in, in 1990. Um, and you know all of these things, intellectual achievement and distinction um, uh, in cultural and in philosophical affairs, but also practical political spade work of remarkable courage as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Any one of those things would have meant that he was a remarkable person. Bringing them all together meant that he was Britain's greatest living intellectual. But because he was a conservative and because for uh, so many people in, you know, in journalism and elsewhere, conservative intellectual is an oxymoron, um, he, he, he never uh, uh, quite had the recognition that, you know, he deserved, you know, to, to my mind, you have people like Noam Chomsky or Bertrand Russell or whatever, who have worldwide reputations, but, but they don't have anything like the cumulative intellectual and uh, uh, moral weight that, uh, that Roger brought to what he was doing. But the other thing, as you quite rightly point out, is that um, Roger was interested in how ideas would uh, would change the world, um, uh, and 
In that sense, he was involved with the conservative philosophy group when Margaret Thatcher was prime minister. Um, he was a uh, thoughtful and uh, supportive friend to uh, journalists and politicians who were making the conservative case. Uh, 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 groups of us often used to gather in uh, Jessica Douglas Hume and Rodney Leach's house in uh, West London, um, uh, essentially students all over again, as Roger uh, uh, teased out of us some of the weaknesses and inconsistencies in our position and drew us to a better and more rigorous understanding of the case that we needed to, to make. Um, and in that sense, uh, he was like the, you know, the, uh, not just the best sort of teacher, but, but someone who was making sure that we as politicians were match fit for the arguments that we needed to make outside, that the arguments that we were making were as intellectually uh, uh, rigorous and as effective as possible. Can I ask you, now that Brexit is done, hmm. Roger was of course intensely English, Mm. And the Anglosphere, not so much as best I could ever tell the Commonwealth, but the Anglosphere meant a great deal. Here's a quotation from him. This is this dates back just a few years. If you look around the world, those political parties and political movements that identify themselves as conservative, it's only in Britain, America, Australia, possibly India, that people would even use that word, because there's a tradition which we have and which we've inherited from Edmund Burke that there is an alternative to revolutionary change. And that is not changing. All right, Brexit's done and I congratulate you again. Do the government, practical question, do the government have, China is rising, the Germans just did a deal with the Chinese. Do the government have any notion of making more of the Anglosphere, of acting on Roger Scruton's insight that there's a particular nexus of rule of law, freedom of speech, democracy that exists in the Anglosphere that really doesn't exist in anything like the same way anywhere else? Uh, in a nutshell, yes. Um, one of the uh, arguments that um, I made um, in, the, in the referendum is, you know, it, it's, it's uh, I, I, you know, we, we, Britain, England, Scotland are, are European nations, of course but we don't need to be in the European Union. And, and, and what's the real test of who a friend is? It's someone with whom you can share a secret. And uh, we have a situation, as everyone knows, we have something called the five eyes in the intelligence yes. world. So uh, the, the countries you mentioned, America, Canada, uh, the UK, Australia, and New Zealand share secrets. You know, our, our, our spies and our generals talk to one another in a spirit of total candor knowing that you can share a secret and that it won't be spilled. Within the European Union, it is not the case that the uh, French DJSA think that they can share their secrets with uh, uh, the uh, Greek security minister, for the sake of argument. Nothing against France, nothing against Greece. It's just a different organization. And uh, these, these ties um, are deep and profound and enduring. And as you say, uh, they, uh, they relate to uh, uh, our belief in limited government, um, our belief in the rule of law, our common law traditions, um, our political uh, systems. Uh, no, it's not to say that there aren't other admirable nations with their own traditions elsewhere. Um, and, you know, I would always say that we should always seek to be uh, uh, friends with those countries that are 
democracies and stand up for democracy in their own way, from uh, modern Germany to, to Israel, you know, they are our natural friends as well. But there is something about uh, that tradition that is incredibly powerful and important. Um, and again, you know, the, the other thing is, it's not just that we share the, uh, those secrets, it's also the case that um, we know um, at the first sign of danger that we would rush to support each other, um, uh, you know, and, 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 and that's been exhibited time and time again. Now, I think it would be a mistake to try to replicate the structures of the European Union for the nations of the Anglosphere, because by definition, the European Union was um, uh, a specific construct, I would argue artificial, but, you know, good people can, can disagree, um, uh, which was trying to create an identity politically where none had previously existed. Whereas there's a commonality of interests between and, and traditions and ties between um, the, the, the countries of the, the Anglosphere that you mentioned. And I think it's also significant that uh, you mention India as well, uh, mm -hmm. because I think that the, the danger sometimes is that the Anglosphere is depicted as, uh, you know, the, the, uh, a club of um, uh, uh, the old dominions plus the US. And I think it's absolutely vital to stress that uh, uh, these traditions, uh, this belief in democracy, um, uh, this common law way of um, approaching things, you know, it, it, it's there certainly uh, very powerfully in India. And it also exists in different ways and in different uh, uh, proportions in other countries as well. Can I, mandatory topic, I'm afraid, wokeness. Yes. 90 seconds of Roger. When it came to uh, working in Eastern Europe, my main thought was that, that uh, what young people there especially needed was not uh, not merely philosophy, but, but uh, the whole range of knowledge which had been excluded for, uh, from the official curriculum. For instance, knowledge of history, um, not knowledge of, uh, of literature, not, uh, a knowledge of the way in which those things connect, how, how music and art and literature feed into a vision of, of, of your society, and of course knowledge of the religious traditions of their countries. Now all those things uh, had been excluded by the Communist Party from, from the national sense of identity. Uh, but it didn't, um, uh, it didn't alter my view that they'd also been excluded from our societies too by the universities themselves. Mm. You know, um, most young people today leave a university ha having studied history but not actually knowing very much about it. They will know about the periods of revolutionary struggle and other things that have, that have appealed to their professors as, as part of their own self-glorification. But they won't know the, the sort of things that are, as it were, interred within the spirit of the people. Minister, and, and I'm conscious now that I'm speaking to a former education secretary, the curriculum of Western European mm. Western universities today as hollowed out as the curriculum of the Eastern European universities under the communists. One, one example of this term, the term didn't even exist until what, 18 mm. months ago in wide currency, but it's, it'll do. We all know what we're talking about, wokeness. What is to be done? Well, it's a huge, huge challenge. I mean, the first thing to say is that um, uh, 
the point that, that Roger was making there about the vital importance of knowledge, mm. um, uh, uh, the core curriculum, the canon, however you want to uh, 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 reinforce it, uh, was something that I was uh, incredibly anxious to uh, uh, reassert when I was education secretary. There's been- And, and, um, and much thanks it got you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks from thanks from some. Thanks from Roger, um, oh. um, and 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 it is striking actually that one of the very very best new schools, uh, state schools in uh, in in the UK in London, uh, was established by an amazing and wonderful teacher called Catherine Burblesing, uh, who was uh, herself a, a fan of Roger, an unashamed and unapologetic admirer of his work. And what she sought to do in that school, and it's a school which has children from a variety of backgrounds. Um, in one of the poorest parts of London, uh, is to introduce them, uh, uh, in Arnold's words, to the best that's been thought and written. And her view was, it is a perverse um, and ugly sort of uh, elitism that argues that because a child uh, may have uh, uh, parents who fled Kosovo 20 years ago, uh, that that child uh, is incapable of appreciating Shakespeare, Gibbon, Macaulay, Wagner, uh, uh, Mozart, Pusa, um, uh, and that they need to have everything made uh, relevant to them because of the nature of their own experience and background. And one of the things I was absolutely convinced about is that if you look at what those who have uh, the resources to be able to do so uh, uh, get for their own children, it is an education which does give them access to uh, the best that has been thought and written there. But this is this shouldn't be exclusive. This is our shared cultural capital. This is our inheritance, uh, all of ours. Um, but you're absolutely right that um, it's been uh, worn away. Um, uh, in, in the not, not, not in the sense that it's any less valuable, but in the sense that the, uh, uh, the, the, the need to transmit that sense of common culture um, and to uh, give people uh, a, a key to this treasure house um, has, been, uh, has come under attack. It's not just people like me on the right who are concerned about it. One of America's foremost uh, center-left thinkers, E.D. Hirsch, um, has made this point that you can't have a pluribus unum, you can't have a common culture in a, a country like the United States unless you give people knowledge. And of course, modern neuroscience tells us, as if we needed to know, that it is through the accumulation of knowledge that people acquire the capacity to, to, to think critically. Um, you know, the point is made because everything is available now on Google. You, know, you don't need knowledge, you can ask that question. But you won't know how to ask the right question. You won't know how to interrogate the evidence in front of you unless you have that store and stock of knowledge accumulated over the generations on which you can trade. But can what I, is- can, can, can I take just one more, one more yes. to broaden the scope of the question a bit. Mm. The practical question, what can, I'm conscious that I'm talking to a senior member of a government that just won election with a majority of 80 seats in yes. commons, which is a historic majority. Still in all, you have a raid against you mm. in the world of wokeness, the universities, yes. the media. I was about to say Hollywood, but the entertainment, well, Hollywood, we can, you, you know what I mean, the entertainment mm. world, all the cool people, all the, all, all, all the, all the edu educated people seem ranged. Well, where I have here something from Roger, another quotation. 
In America, as in Britain, the indigenous working class has been put out of mind and overtly disparaged by the media and the political class, all attempts to give voice to their anxieties over immigration, over the impact on their lives of globalization, on the spread of liberal conceptions of sex, marriage, and the family have been dismissed or silenced. All right, you and I agree, as does everyone watching us right now, that Roger was identifying intellectual treasures. He was pointing the way to a good and rich life. And you and I both inhabit cultures in which all the cool people have turned their back on it. What do you do as a practical politician? You. If at the end of your career, long and may it be long delayed, but if at a quarter of a century from now, when you're when you're all done with government and journalism, and you look back and say, "We didn't make a dent in it in this huge calcified edifice. We couldn't change it." You'd you, you'd not be happy with that. What's to be done? Well, um, that was always um, at the heart of Roger's thinking when he was engaging with politics. I see three things. The first thing is. Who is, uh, what is the intellectual wellspring of the assault on uh, uh, our cultures, our traditions, um, uh, and so many of the, uh, the principles that would have been regarded as uh, uh, common sense for you know, most of the, uh, the past two millennia? Um, the best guide to this is Roger's book, Thinkers of the New Left, uh, which has been uh, republished as Fools, Frauds, and Firebrands. Um, uh, mm -hmm. it, it makes the point that essentially, um, uh, the uh, thinkers of the radical left recognized that one of the reasons why uh, uh, their message wasn't working is that people, uh, uh, particularly those who weren't themselves intellectual, were attached to, um, uh, to home, that they had feelings of affection um, for uh, tradition, um, and that these needed to be um, undermined. And the intellectual uh, erosion of those feelings was the work of uh, the Derridas, the Foucaults, the Lacans, and, uh, and others, and those who came after them, um, and who were influenced by them. So the first thing is, if you're going to engage in, in this struggle, you need to know what is motivating and what the arguments are of those people in order to be able to take them on, as Roger did brilliantly. The second thing is, you make a very, very, very good point about um, uh, uh, the majority in most countries, certainly in, in, in Britain. Um, uh, Morris Glassman's made the point, which I think is right, that the, uh, the working class have saved this country at least twice in the last hundred years. Um, uh, it was uh, the sacrifice um, of the Second World War, but also the fact that at a time when appeasement was bewitching the minds of some, uh, it was actually both within the Labour Party, but also within uh, a section of the Conservative Party that people knew that uh, uh, we needed to take a different course. And the amazing courage that people exhibited then uh, was you know, a, a courage from below. Um, and that was the same with Brexit. And this brings me back to a, a, a final point, which is democracy is our ally. You know, one of the points again that Morris has made and others have made is that um, uh, people with uh, the cool people that you mentioned, with uh, cred and credentials, um, you know, with cultural um, inroads, um, they get their prime spots on TV, uh, they're the, the, on the op-ed pages, uh, at the cocktail parties where, uh, you know, you get to mingle with power brokers, there they are. But ultimately, they only have one vote. And the guy in Pittsburgh or the woman in Gateshead also has one vote. And this is why uh, if you have the common sense of the people uh, enabled through democracy, you can have that necessary course correction. And that was one of the things about Brexit, 
Um, you know, in, in the same way as in, in any given congressional district or any given parliamentary constituency in the UK, you might think this is safely red or safely blue. When we had that referendum, everyone knew that their one vote counted. And it didn't matter how red or blue their area was, the vote of uh, that, uh, that lady in Gateshead was going to count just as much as the vote of Lord Peter Mandelson. Um, and that was the way in which you had that course correction. And people thought, look, I'm not going to be bamboozled by all of these arguments about the EU. And I, and I don't need to worry that you know, people are going to think that I'm some sort of rube or oik. I can just see through this um, and I'm going to uh, vote uh, for you know, my country to be more accountable to me. Uh, I have a question which is simply mandatory, and it's mandatory in the sense that I've sent emails to several friends in England, and every single one of them insisted, I don't mean suggested, I mean insisted that I ask you a question. I don't want mm. to make too much of it because I know you've been answering it, but maybe not in quite this way. It is, of course, the lockdown question. Mm. Former Supreme Court Judge Jonathan Sumption, I'm, I have the feeling I'm mispronouncing that, but you know exactly who I mean. Liberty is, I'm quoting him, liberty is the foundation of human happiness and creativity and an impressive case is needed to justify curtailing it. In England, no such case has been made, close quote. All right, Roger would certainly have agreed with the assertion that liberty, let, let, let me put it this way, make a case for the lockdown minister of which Roger would have approved. Can yes. it be done? Um, I believe it can. I think the first thing to say is that Roger recognised that the single most important thing, uh, freedom was critically important, but the single most important thing was community, home, family, relationships, um, uh, ties of obligation, not imposed um, uh, on us artificially, but felt naturally. Um, and uh, one of the things about uh, a pandemic, uh, any pandemic, is that uh, the actions of any of us as individuals are not restricted to our own lives. Um, uh, in the first instance, actually, as a conservative, I, I, I would have a concern about uh, a government that, for the sake of argument, uh, legalized heroin uh, uh, consumption. I, I would object to that. A libertarian might say, well, you know, what's the problem? Um, but uh, uh, both libertarians and conservatives would have to concede that if by my actions, I contribute to the spread of a disease, which means that uh, the weaker and the frailer among us faces um, additional uh, risk, pain, and tragedy, then we should be exercising restraint. Now, if that restraint is going to be imposed a second longer than is required, because government hungry for power and authority uh, clings onto it, that would be wrong. But a government that did seek to do that would soon find itself in a democracy, um, uh, uh, facing a penalty at the ballot box um, and being flung out of office. The measures that we're taking in uh, the United Kingdom are supported, but supported on the basis that they are strictly there for a, a limited time um, and that they're there to, to, to help others. Um, and in particular, the challenge that we face is that uh, if this pandemic is not controlled, then the institutions that exist to care for all of us could be overwhelmed. Yes, um, yes. Now, we, yes. Could, we could have an argument about what the best way is to deliver healthcare, but it's not a finite resource. I'm sorry, it is a finite resource. It is me. a finite resource, yeah. Right, it's a finite resource. And uh, those who, uh, again, however healthcare is organised, those who take the Hippocratic Oath and dedicate themselves to the care of others um, are, are doing something noble. And Roger 
often made the point, um, and you would expect him as a, as a student of Hegel to, to make this point, that the essence of love is sacrifice, um, and that the essence of love of your country is a preparedness to sacrifice something for the, the, the common and the uh, collective good. Um, and that is what we're asking of people at the moment. But ultimately, the critical test is uh, our determination to ensure that liberty returns when the needs of the uh, these exceptional moments come to an end. Right, right. I, ha I, I have to say, I'm, I, surely I'm talking to the only elected man in all the Anglosphere who could tie in Roger Scruton and Hegel and the lockdown in a single sentence. Um, um, can I? Can I? I, I one other person who would do so who? much more entertainingly than me, and that's the prime minister. But still, oh, what do you do? What do you do? All right, all right. Sun Sunitra, I'm again, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing this name. Sunitra Gupta in the Daily mm. Mail late last year, epidemiologist at Oxford. You know who she is. Mm. I, and she, she signed the Great Barrington Declaration, which said your government and our government were going about it all wrong, shouldn't lock down, mm. should, should focus on those who are most at, at risk and let everybody else go about his or her life. All right, that's an argument I don't intend to attempt to push on you because it has very little to do with Roger, but she wrote in the Daily Mail, I expected debate, but I was utterly unprepared for the onslaught of insults, criticism, yeah. intimidation and threats. And I read that and I thought, that sounds only too close to what Roger himself went through during the New Statesman scandal. When an interview, he gave an interview, the New Statesman journalist published excerpts of it that made him sound inflammatory and old fashioned and reaction. And it was Douglas Murray who had to get his hands on the full interview. But for a time, a period of weeks, Roger was viewed as beyond the pale. He went through something like this as well, insults, intimidation. And now we have in the last 72 hours in this country, the rights and wrongs of it, I'm still sorting out myself, but Google and Facebook and Apple have engaged in a clearly coordinated effort to silence one aspect of public opinion. We know without being told that Roger, well, we know because he wrote about his ex experience during the New Statesman scandal, what do the government do? I mean, you disagree, you've chosen to take a different policy route from that advocated by Sunitra Gupta, but surely you want to stick up for her right to argue the point. Oh, completely, completely. Well, um, um, uh, this, I hope that, that people won't take this amiss, but this is a very personal point. Um, uh, my, uh, my wife, Sarah, is a journalist, and indeed she writes for the Daily Mail. Um, and she disagrees with me on this central question, you know, the, the, the biggest question in British politics um, at, at the moment. Um, and, and she takes not quite a Sinatra Gupta view, but a, but a different view from mine and, and from uh, the, the government's. Um, and um, uh, I think, you know, moving beyond the immediately personal, that we absolutely need to have this debate. Um, you know, it, it, the only way in which government is kept honest is through uh, critique. It might be that I'm uh, wrong. I'll certainly seek to defend my position as robustly as I can. But we need to hear the critical voice every day um, and, uh, you know, in, 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 in every field. Um, I... Um, you know, at every stage of of uh, of any you know sort of political question, uh, not at every stage, but at many stages, I always you know think of the the, the Cromwell quote: "Beseech yourself in the bowels of Christ to think yourself mistaken." And, yes. and you've got to be able 
to, uh, to have that challenge. And I've changed my mind on certain issues as a result of, of that. So uh, I quite agree. And I also agree that what um, Professor Gupta has been subject to and what Roger was certainly subject to was um, what um, uh, uh, I think Douglas Murray has called uh, offense archeology. span People would deliberately seek out phrases or arguments and then heedless of the context, hold them up and say, oh, how horrendous um, uh, that this should be so. And, and sometimes this pearl clutching was confected and exaggerated in order to try to marginalize or silence that voice. Now, you know, my view is um, we're grown ups and we should try to defend what it is that we've said and sometimes we'll speak infelicitously. But what we should always try to do if we are grown ups is also try to be fair to the other side in a civilized argument. Understand what their point of view is. Disagree, of course, but respect. And the only way that you can emerge at a stronger position in politics or anywhere else is by paying your opponent the courtesy of trying to understand uh, their argument and reflecting afterwards on what they have got right and you may have got wrong. I think we have about five or six minutes. So if I may, one last question, but mm. I'll begin it, if I may. I asked mm. you to take 90 seconds of Roger. This is a little closer to three minutes, but on the first anniversary of his death, it's wonderful to be reminded of what this man sounded and looked like. There is such a thing as the permanent state. Mm. And we live in a modern world. And for seven decades, at least seven decades in both your country and my, in throughout the Anglosphere, let's, let's, I'll grant you mm. the Anglosphere, the state has expanded and expanded and expanded. And I love the world that you describe with the same yearning love that I, with which I love Tolkien. Mm. But they belong on the bookshelf together. It's mm. not a practical agenda. Right. Tell me why I'm wrong. And please tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> well, uh, you're not entirely wrong. Oh. Um, there, the expansion of the state to absorb more and more of civil society has happened everywhere, more outside the Anglosphere than inside the Anglosphere. Let's face it, you still have private education available yes. here if you want it and can afford it. You still have all the little little platoons, as Burke called them. You, if you have a problem, you can get together with your neighbors to, um, to solve it. Uh, you can, you know, you, you probably belong to all sorts of clubs and, and uh, and discussion groups and so on. Uh, uh, no, all that free association, which made the, the uh, English-speaking countries what they are, still exists. It's just that there's a, a tax on it, uh, roughly speaking, half of what you ever you earn, yes. which goes to maintain uh, a, a, a sort of shadow community of parasites, who uh, whose only justification is that they pretend to be governing us. Uh, you have to, you know, you, you, we're, we belong in an organism which goes, which is accompanied by a cancerous version of itself. That's the way it is. Uh, all you can do is, is every now and then diminish it, if uh, you know, to cut off this or that bit of it. But it will always be there. Um, but at the same time, focusing on the other thing is not nostalgia. 
although uh, nostalgia is an underrated um, uh, aspect of the human condition. Remember the, the founding work of literature of our civilization describes Odysseus's decision to give up immortality and life with the goddess in order to travel across dangerous seas to his home. You know, it set the model for what, we are, what all our literature since has been about and all our art and why turn away from that? That is, we are in this world in a, as uh, dispossessed and alienated and we do have that longing for a home and we try to build it. And that's all I'm advocating is that we should go on doing this. It will always be a different home but, um, but, you know, it isn't anyway nostalgia to say that, that this is where our values lie rather than in that other thing, that great expanding state machine. Michael Gove, journalist and elected official, you have dedicated your life. I think it is fair to say you have dedicated your adult life to the ideals enunciated by Roger Scruton a cancerous version of ourselves. Is that the best we can do? Is there, any, as a matter of practical politics, is there any, any way we can gain control over the, what, what did he call it, the great expanding state machine? Well, I think, I think uh, we do have to, um, and it is a, uh, a perennial battle. You know, one of the things that um, uh, conservatives recognize is that there are never any permanent victories or permanent defeats. Um, and, uh, you know, while I'm, uh, as, as you will know from what I said earlier, a passionate believer in democracy, it is also the case that there, there are um, tendencies in democracy to uh, uh, ask for risk in our own lives to be reduced and the government to take more of a, a burden onto its shoulders. Um, uh, and, um, I think there's a quote from, of all people, Gerald Ford, which says that if government is big enough to give you uh, uh, everything you need, it's big enough to take away uh, everything that you want. Um, and, and you know, and what, one of the, one of those points is that um, uh, ultimately uh, there is a, a political realm, but the most important realm for all of us is not politics. The most important realm uh, for us is uh, culture and character. And this is something that I think um, uh, uh, Americans understand very, very well. Um, you know, again, to quote back, I, was it Benjamin Franklin who said, you've got a republic if you can keep it? Yes, yes, that's right. Yes. And, and, the, and, the, and the point there was, you know, I'm naturally a monarchist, but still, that if you want a republic, if you want that system of limited government, then of course construct a, a strong and robust constitution. But what you need more than anything else is for men and women to cultivate Republican virtues, to believe in the importance of limited government, to believe in the uh, importance of uh, open and critical and respectful debate. Um, and you can legislate and write uh, 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 to your heart's content in order to limit the growth of government or to design a perfect constitution. But what you really need to do is to make sure that the, 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 the character of the population overall is one that um, uh, uh, does believe um, in those virtues. And one of the reasons why I'm confident that uh, uh, whatever twists and turns uh, politics take, uh, 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 governments are, uh, are going to be tamed is that 
I think that the you know the basic common sense, as I mentioned earlier, of the majority of people is in tune with precisely the sorts of uh, virtues and affections that Roger referred to. Um, and you can see that again, as as Roger better than anyone pointed out, in the uh, the, the the cultural artifacts, the stories to which we're drawn. Um, and I, I noted that you mentioned Tolkien there. Um, uh, you know, one of the things about um, uh, uh, the the Lord of the Rings, um, uh, mm. a great contemporary epic, and of course written by a great Christian conservative writer, is that ultimately it's about the preservation of home and the desire yes, yes, to yes. to stop the encroachment of evil, so that, that people can enjoy a, um, the hobbits and others a peaceful and contented life. Anyway, to go back to to the here and now, uh, that's why I think that the uh, uh, the whole question of education, not just government politics towards education, but what we value in education is so important. Um, and No, no, I'm just, I'm conscious I've made all kinds of promises to people who are probably in your office now just standing off camera mm. that I'd end this by a certain time. And I've run a bit over. Last cool. question, but a very, very brief one. Yeah. The American playwright Claire Booth Luce used to say that no matter how great the figure, history would give him one sentence. Lincoln freed the slaves. Churchill saved Britain. What is history's one sentence for Sir Roger Scruton? Uh, he saved this country. Mm. The Right Honorable Michael Gove, thank you. Thank you. For Uncommon Knowledge, the Hoover Institution and Fox Nation, I'm Peter Robinson.